I'm Taffer. And I'm Bailey. Welcome to Yeah, a show where we talk about young adult lit and what it can teach us at any age. This is our book club, and you're invited. Yeah! yeah. We'd like to take this time to acknowledge that the studio where we record is situated within the traditional and unsurrendered territories of the Ganyangahaga First Nations. As settlers, it's important that we remember that the lands we occupy are not our own, and that we engage in conversations that challenge the colonial mindset. We encourage you to take some time today, and every day, to reflect on your relationship with the land you live on and the indigenous communities of that area. I've been thinking uh, today, like one thing that we haven't said, I don't think, is that a land acknowledgement doesn't mean anything if you don't back it up. And uh, I'm mm-hmm. definitely <laughs> I'm definitely feeling that in terms of seeing the fires out west. And if you're affected by those fires right now, I'm so sorry. That sucks. But really thinking about how we have, at least in Canada, I know in the States it's a different situation, but in Canada we have a government that kind of talks a really big deal about ecological preservation and uh, and doesn't really mm-hmm. do shit about it. And yep. <laughs> doesn't uh, talks a big game about being good for the indigenous population and doesn't really do shit about it. And um, mm-hmm. I just wanted to take a minute like beyond our normal land acknowledgement and just acknowledge that Mm -hmm. first of all you know the indigenous people of turtle island lived here for thousands and thousands on thousands of years i don't remember how old human beings are but you know there's like a good solid probably millions of years (laughs) i don't know Mm -hmm. uh it, several thousand in the Americas not I think it's in the I think it's in the range of tens of thousands but yeah. I could be wrong but anyway lived here for a long ass time on yes. this exact same piece of land without the ecological catastrophes that we are seeing and um yeah. white colonists have been here for like 400 years <laughs> um and uh and we have wildfires uh to an extent that we've never seen before and i think probably a lot of our listeners identify as uh ecological folks as green folks as people who try to reduce Mm -hmm. your mark uh on the earth and Mm -hmm. a really important part of that is acknowledging that um we need to look at the people who lived on this land with this land before us and have lived here for thousands of years and are still here and see what we can learn from them and 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 go to that with a lot of uh humility and willingness to learn and willingness to put our egos aside um and I also sorry I'm rambling I didn't mean to go on quite this long but it's really been on my mind this week the other thing I want to acknowledge is like sometimes something that comes into my head every time I do the land acknowledgement every single week is that it is weird that our land acknowledgement and most land acknowledgements kind of assume that our audience is not indigenous (laughs) and like we we probably have 
some indigenous author uh, listeners. Like we certainly have interviewed mm-hmm. indigenous authors. So I'm kind of thinking about that. I'm thinking about that language, and I'm I'm thinking about. Mm-hmm. Land acknowledgements in general and just like, yeah, I don't Mm -hmm. know if you are indigenous and it's kind of exhausting uh, (laughs) to hear us say this every week. I'm sorry. Um, I think it's always a learning process. And uh, yeah, I mean, that's where I am at this week with thinking about relationship to the land and uh, living in a colonized colonizer police state. So this week, after after two years of whining about it, I finally got somebody to read The True Confessions of Charlotte Doyle by Abby to talk about with me. This is one of my childhood favorite books. I am a ship book kid. I really, really like I really like ship books. I uh, I gave a choice between ship books, and I think this one was selected because it is the shortest. It was also the one that I could get online, I think, was part of it. Okay. Okay. <laughs> and Bailey has confided in me that they hated this book. I, I never <laughs> said that I hated this book. I just said that this was going to be a turning the tables from our Anne of Green Gables episode. Turning the tables from Anne of Green Gables. Okay. So. <laughs> I, there were parts in this book that I enjoyed, but I did not love it. Well, that's the... That's okay. Well, I'm interested to hear why you love it so much. I also, I never, I did not read this as a child, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. I think is part of why I did not love it. Mm-hmm. I'm excited to see actually what our listeners have to say, because I know that for a number of my friends, it was like a very well-loved childhood book. Uh, okay. So if you're listening and you're like, oh, I love that book, or like, oh, I had to read that book and I hated it, please let us know. Uh, we'd love to hear about that. Maybe comment on our Instagram and we can get into a fight in the comments. So, I mean, there's, I was obviously coming back to a book as an adult. You never know what you're going to find. Mm-hmm. And on this read through, I couldn't find my hard copy. So I ended up uh, getting an ebook of it. And mm-hmm. in the ebook, Avi had a foreword that I had never read before. Um, which contextualized the story for me in a brand new way. And so I was thinking about it completely differently. He said that he actually was inspired to write this book visiting the Edgar Allan Poe Museum, Uh, which I was like, what? (laughs) Um, And he said that Edgar Allan Poe was obsessed with the closed room story. You know, something happens in a closed Mm. room, a locked room mystery. Uh, Mm. And also Poe was from Providence, Rhode Island, which is a port city, right? Uh, I've spent Mm -hmm. time in Providence, Rhode Island. I absolutely love it. I would have moved there if Brown had accepted me. So Abby was thinking about this locked room mystery and thought, what's more of a locked room than a ship at sea? And set out Mm. to write a locked room mystery in a ship. The other thing he said, which I appreciated, uh, was that uh, he's been asked to write a sequel many times and refuses to because Mm. he thinks Charlotte learning to think for herself and choosing her own destiny is a key part of the tale. And by writing a sequel, he would take that away from her and mm. and make the book not as good so i thought it okay. was really cool i can respect that a lot yeah and i was just thinking about the book differently than i than i ever had before i'd always just approached it as like an adventure novel and i love you know ships at sea and i love ship books and i love going to visit tall ships and 
I, I just I love the sea. I am a salty sailor at heart. Uh, I think probably the diet would wear on me, though. Yeah, a lot of fresh vegetables at sea, and you do love fresh vegetables. I do love fresh vegetables. I'd have to have a little hydroponic garden mid-decks. I feel like, I feel like, yeah, I feel like you could do that these days. I could make it happen. Mm-hmm. So, um, you, I am fascinated by having somebody who had never read this book before come in with a clean slate. So tell me. I mean, like, there were parts of it that I liked. I I enjoyed the whole, like, the adventure of the, like, you know, learning how to be a sailor and proving worth. And, like, that that bit was all quite fun. And I the ending was good. I was a fan of the ending. But... I think I think the main reason that I did not enjoy this book in me- at many points is like this book is very much written for children and and that's not like a a, a diss on things written for children but I think like when you are an adult with it is written for people with like less critical thinking capacity perhaps than than a fully grown human adult and um and so there were many points where I think I would have had to really suspend my disbelief in order to like get into the story and I was unable to do that Bailey I just feel the need to point out that we are a children's book review podcast we're a young adult (laughs) book review podcast and and I there, there are some ways in which those genres differ. I would call this a children's book rather than a young adult book. Interesting. I was thinking that it's certainly, I would say it's middle grade bordering. Like it's, it's right on the border mm-hmm. between middle grade and young adult. But it does have a teenage protagonist. And she does follow a coming of age arc. Like, I'm not quibbling with it being on the show. But in terms of like... <laughs> The complexity of the story and the writing and stuff, I, I think it is I think it is aimed at being accessible to younger readers. Yeah, fair enough. I was going to say it's hard for me to come to the mystery aspect of it because I've read this book mm-hmm. so many times that when I read it, I'm not, um, the, nothing's new. So kind of suspending mm-hmm. disbelief is not really a factor when you're, like, rereading a book you know really well. Whereas I, like, I see with the mystery towards the end, like, I, when you, when you, when you said this about it, I was like, oh, I guess it is sort of a mystery. But, like, as soon as the murder happened, I was like, oh, clearly the captain did it. Um, so I wasn't even reading it as a mystery because it's like, this is, this is very clearly what has happened. It is. It is. And I guess I approach it more as when you're, so, I mean, I like spoilers and I like knowing how things end. And then what I like Mm -hmm. is seeing how the people get there. So yes, it's very clear who did it from the beginning. The villain, I mean, he is just such a villain from the very beginning. He might as well have, like, crows flapping behind him, cawing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know who the bad guy is from the beginning. It's real, real, real clear. Uh, Charlotte doesn't necessarily know at first, and you get to see her kind of process of figuring that out, and that's something I want to get into because um, mm-hmm. what really gets me about this book still as an adult is her progression and her growth. So yeah, there's nothing kind of it's it's a mystery, but it's a mystery written for children. You know, you you mm-hmm. you know who's in the black hat and you know who's in the white hat um, from the very from the very beginning. Mm-hmm. 
See, I think that's part of what what failed to grab me about this book was like it was so clear as a reader who was the bad guy and what was going to happen that I found myself at many points just very frustrated with Charlotte for not being able to tell that this was the case. Mm. And so I can like under like I I tried to like have empathy with her and like yes yeah, she has been like very brainwashed by her society into like an innate trust of anybody who's upper class and an innate distrust of anybody who's lower class. So like I think it's interesting that it does a good job of that in like her character growth and stuff. But it didn't stop me from just being frustrated with her. <laughs> I'm realizing that uh, my familiarity with this book made me forget to give it a synopsis at the beginning. And we're as, we're, as we're diving more into the plot, I'm going to just pause here. I'm going to give a quick synopsis. Charlotte Doyle, 13 years old, is going by ship from uh, London to Providence, Rhode Island. Her family is originally from Providence. They lived in England from the age of when she was six. Now they're going back. Uh, her family is already there. She is traveling alone so that she could finish out the school year. And upon reaching the ship, she learns that the other passengers who were going to be company for her in her age and her class level uh, are not aboard the ship. She receives many dire warnings uh, that she should not be aboard the ship, boards the ship anyway, and then all kinds of hijinks ensue during the course of the voyage including murder most foul so quick that's just the quick synopsis that's where we are the captain is named captain jaggery and he you know has a big black hat and a curly mustachio and and goes around cackling um more or less i see, i hear what you're saying about like getting frustrated with charlotte for not realizing things are gonna turn out the way they are and i'm i'm assuming you mean kind of like when she tells on the crew to captain jaggery and then bad things happen and then she makes like surprised pikachu face like she several times before that she like remarks about like how unfairly he seems to be treating the crew like see she seems to like have a fuel for that and like have sympathy for it and like is starting to like get to know them and like them but then she still turns on them and like doesn't even realize that she's turning on them and is also surprised that bad things happen because of it. Like, I found that... I think I found her motivations confusing because it's, like, on the one hand, she seems to, like, be getting to know and, like, like these people, but then she still... Like, I understand her affiliation for for him in the beginning and I don't... I think I don't understand why it takes so long and so much for her to break allegiance with him. Interesting. Okay. I mean, I think I I see all these things, but I also definitely recognize Charlotte as a child who's 13 and who's like, you also like one of the things that I really appreciate about Jaggery as a villain is that he's masterfully manipulative. And, and I actually really appreciated this on that read through um, that, that on this read through seeing the ways in which right after Charlotte has seen him do terrible things, he can immediately kind of reel her in and be like, no, no, no. But like, of course, this is like this. And one of the ways he does that Mm -hmm. repeatedly is by bringing up her father. And Mm -hmm. her father and Jaggery are aligned in that her father actually uh, is is a stakeholder in the company that owns Jaggery's ship. So 
Mm-hmm. There's both an element of power there, and there's a really interesting power play around the figure of Charlotte's father, where Jaggery invokes him to uh, exert kind of a paternal control over her, but she also refers to her father in order to kind of scare Jaggery, right? Because her mm-hmm. father is essentially his boss. Yeah. And I think the thing that keeps Charlotte from doing the right thing for a lot of the book is her faith in the system. Because she mm-hmm. thinks that if she just holds out for the voyage, she can tell her father and her father will believe her and then Jaggery will go to court. And, you know, she really thinks that he'll get his just desserts if she plays by the rules. And I would say the second half of the book is is kind of her gradually realizing that that is not going to happen and he will not be brought to justice. And that's then really hammered home when she does go home and does try to tell her parents about it. That's fair. Yeah. No, I think like I think that what the book is doing with that and with with illustrating her like her journey towards disillusionment with the system is is really good. Um, and yes, she is a child, so maybe I'm, maybe I'm wanting her to be more, uh, critical than, than she is capable of being. Here's what I found fascinating reading the book Mm -hmm. this time through. Charlotte is quite wealthy. She's educated. Mm -hmm. She is, she is really the top of her society. She is the highest class person on board the ship. Mm -hmm. She actually is higher class than Jaggery. And there's a fun little moment towards the end of the book when lots of hijinks have ensued when she becomes captain purely because of that. And everyone Mm -hmm. on board is like, of course, you're not actually the captain, but just like because you are the only aristocrat on board, you get to be captain. So there's a really interesting class play going on, which you've which you've spoken to before. But I Mm -hmm. I was feeling it very personally this time and really thinking about um, the ways privileged people we as privileged people sometimes put faith in the system and the faith in the system can kind of help you overlook what you might call minor injustices and also increase your tolerance for injustices right Mm -hmm. Um, absolutely and that's what I see with Charlotte I see Charlotte kind of going oh he's a bad captain but you know, I can tell people he's a bad captain and then he won't be a captain anymore and everything will be righted. And I think the moment Mm. when she stops being able to do that is when she sees him murder somebody. Yes. And and she's just like, oh, hmm. (laughs) She's able to excuse him smacking the sailors around and overworking the sailors. It's just something she doesn't understand because she's never done hard work. And she's like, but he looks right. He looks like everything I've been told is good and noble my whole life. And they Mm -hmm. look like everything I've been told is bad. And I think, again, there's an element of her trusting Jaggery's word over the sailor's words. Because, like, she weights his word more heavily. Mm -hmm. And, and, I mean, I I do really want to get into the character of Zachariah because I think he's a fascinating character. I think she also gets kind of held to account you know, she doesn't just join the yes. crew and then everybody's like, hurrah. She joins the crew mm-hmm. and then the crew is like, yeah, we don't trust you because you've sold us out a bunch of times to the point that she gets unjustly convicted for murder because they're just kind of like, well, I mean, ultimately, you're just not as important to us as our crew because you have gotten people killed. 
yeah, it's it's an interesting. There's interesting class play going on, and there's interesting intersectional intersectional privileges going on because at the beginning of the book she's very much like I'm a girl in a world of men I'm young Mm -hmm. in a world of adults um I'm unskilled on a ship where everybody has to be very skilled um because you do if you read ship books there is like the ship everybody's always like the ship has its own order and if you're a passenger and you don't know how to stay alive on a ship like you're not as important because we're trying to stay alive on a ship wow so like (laughs) I didn't realize going into this how passionately I feel that this is a good book, but I I really am like I'm all you, set. I'm all ready to just defend it because I think it's very well written. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I I definitely see what you're saying about certain things. Um, I don't know if you're gonna convince me of that conviction, but but I but I I I enjoy hearing what you love about it and. <laughs> Yeah, now I'm going to have to, like, now I feel like I need to reread this and think about whether it just doesn't do the things that I want it to do or whether I actually <laughs> think that it's badly written. Okay, I'm going to ask you kind of a difficult question, I think. Kind of an unfair mm-hmm. question. But what do you think would have been satisfying for you? I think one of the main things that I found unsatisfying that that I'm also interested for your take on was, like, I found the sailors really puzzling. So the premise is that the whole reason that the sailors are on this ship is to um, to take revenge on the captain. But they also seem totally unprepared to actually do that and to have, like, not thought it through at all. Like, I think that's what I find, like, what I find really puzzling is this is this whole thing that plays out where they, like, they are determined to take revenge and they like launch their revenge plot, but then they are immediately met with force. Um, and so they like immediately desist and are like totally cowed basically. And I find that like, I think, I think I would not find that frustrating if it weren't that the premise was that they were on this ship intentionally to fuck with him. Like if it was just, like, they were this crew on this ship with a terrible captain and they, like, tried to overthrow him and it didn't work because he had a whole bunch of guns and then they just, like, became resigned to their fate again, like, that I would that that would make sense to me. But with the added element of, like, they were there on purpose to do this, it's like, shouldn't you have known that this was how he was going to react and, like, either been prepared for it or decided it wasn't worth it because of it? Like, I found that complicated and confusing and and frustrating. That's really interesting. Because what I get from the first mutiny, actually, is that they had a plan in place and then Charlotte saw the gun and the round robin and they realized mm-hmm. they needed to act way, way, way sooner than they planned. Um, hmm. So they they tried an uprising that they were unprepared for instead of letting the plan actually develop i will confess Mm. that one thing that kept occurring to me was literally the only person on board the ship that they needed to get rid of was jaggery so it seems like maybe an assassination would make the most sense in this case Uh, i did i i will admit that i had a little bit of difficulty suspending my disbelief that that nine grown men could not take on one grown man yeah, I think, like, I think it was actually the round robin thing that confused me the most, because it's, like, your plan is essentially, like, your your plan seems to rest on a petition, 
And, like, I feel like you should know already that that's not going to do anything against this man. So I think I, I think what you're saying is true is maybe we're supposed to understand that we were not... What happened was not how it was supposed to happen, and maybe they had a much better plan. Mm-hmm. But I think I just, like, didn't see enough evidence of, like, what that much better plan would have been. Yeah, that's fair enough. That's fair enough. I uh, think especially, like, if it was, like, if the plan had just been, like, yeah, like, an assassination plot that she discovers before... Mm-hmm. It was complete. I would have been like, yeah, that makes sense. Mm -hmm. But the fact that it involved, like, a petition, essentially, of, like, we all don't like you and think you should step down. And it's like, clearly this man's not going to care about that at all because he has the guns (laughs) and it doesn't matter. I don't don't think Red Robin is a petition, exactly. It's like, I mean, that's like saying that the Declaration of Independence was was a petition to the king to uh, to let the U.S. secede, right? It's I guess so. <laughs> it's a statement. It's a warning. It's saying we are all unified in this. So mm. you have this opportunity to step down without violence. And there's also sea law, right? Like there are things, there are ways that you're supposed to act at sea that Jaggery does not. Like when presented with a round robin, you don't you don't just go off and shoot somebody in the chest. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so there's there's also an element of like rules being violated. There's a pirate's code. I mean, they're not pirates. But mm-hmm. anybody who's watched Pirates of the Caribbean knows. So that's fair that it's like supposed to rely upon these like rules of the sea. I think again it comes back to like why did they think like I, I understand that what Jaggery did is not what you're supposed to do when presented with this, but why did they think he was gonna do what he was supposed to do? Right. Yeah. Fair given enough. their understanding of what he has done in the past. Fair enough. Yeah, that's fair enough. But I okay. So we've talked about the plot and the the weaknesses and the strengths, Mm -hmm. uh, such as they are. Um, But I do want to talk a little bit about Charlotte's character development, um, Mm -hmm. because that is the main thrust of the story, and I really appreciate it. Charlotte is a Victorian young woman who has been raised in finishing school and raised by a high-class family when she goes on the ship, her main concern is keeping her clothes and her hair nice. She's following all the rules. She's working on her spelling. And I think that's really different for me than a lot of sea books that involve young girls going to sea and becoming sailors. They're often sort of, I was always a rough and tumble lass who's more interested in climbing trees than doing needlepoint. Um, and... Charlotte Doyle is into doing needlepoint and she's into brushing her hair 20 minutes before bed and um, one of the things I really liked is that she very clearly is interested in the attention of men already uh, Mm -hmm. as a 13-year-old and is already very aware of them and of like seeking their approval Uh, but I think that's written in very subtly Mm -hmm. you get it like you definitely get the sense of her crush on Ewing and you definitely get oh, yeah. the sense that she has a crush on Jaggery from the beginning, at the beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's not explicitly stated. And I think that's a very good way of writing 13-year-old crushes on grown men, um, as someone who had a lot of them. Uh, <laughs> that it's kind of like, I have this feeling about this person, and I don't really know what to call it, but I'm definitely going to like hang out with them a bunch. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and like brush my hair a lot. 
And then she gets radicalized, right? Like she sees enough mm-hmm. injustice that she can't ignore it. And then the kind of final, first she sees the person who she set up as her father, as the her father uh, metaphor on the ship turn out to be terrible and get taken down. And then she sees her actual father and realizes, oof, this this wasn't just on board this ship. This is something that's everywhere. And I think we don't often get to see sort of the total radicalization process. Like, it's usually like, Mm -hmm. I already didn't fit in, and then I realized there was a place for me elsewhere. But this is really, I thought everything was okay. And then over the course of two months, got to a point where I literally can't live in this society anymore. And it's not just, it's also not just because it's restricting for her. It's also because she's become aware of the injustices and she really like can't reconcile that and can't forget it. Yeah, that's a good point. And that's definitely the thing I liked most about this book that I think is really well done. And I hadn't thought about it in that way before, but it's true. You don't see a lot of books where, you know, where someone goes from total buy-in to the system to this is terrible and like mostly because of seeing the way in which other people are treated so that that is definitely really good and i do i really like the ending and not the just like she escapes ending but how like subtly like her definitely like you can see her you know just like chafing at the life that she is now confined to but also um i do really like the weaving in of the detail of like she's like trying to like befriend the servants and like trying to you know like develop a relationship with them like partially because she's lonely but also because she's like learned to see them as actual humans and she keeps getting the response from them that like your dad would not like that and i like i like how that just like subtly plays into her like oh yeah this my dad is part of this same system that treats working class people like they are worth less and that they don't matter Mm -hmm. and I really don't like that and I can't exist in this world anymore. I like that. Mm -hmm. I think the other thing that I really like uh, in her development is that even though she is not inclined to like physical stuff, she actually Mm -hmm. takes to her life at sea very well. And I like that she is so determined to do well that she that she does well. Like she's just she's got it in her head. She's so set that she is going to be one of the crew and she is going to be helpful and she is going to really like make reparations for the harm she's done. That she manages to become an an adequate sailor. That's very cool. I I think that's a cool message to send. That, Mm -hmm. you know, when you know the right thing to do, um, especially like as a kid's book, right? That when you know the the right thing to do, you can make the thing happen. I also want to talk about Zachariah because we haven't talked about Zachariah. And I think Zachariah is a really important character. Um, Yes. And also coming to reread the book, I was very nervous because I couldn't remember how Zachariah was depicted. Um, Mm. So Zechariah is one of the sailors. He's the ship's cook. He is uh, originally from East Africa and ran off as a boy to be a sailor and has been a sailor for 40 years. Um, He finally was able to become ship's cook instead of a regular hand because basically he's getting very old. 
uh, and and mm-hmm. needs a more quiet life. Um, and he sort of takes Charlotte under his wing from the beginning. He finds her terribly seasick in her cabin um, and takes her to the or invites her to the kitchen for a cup of tea and gives her a knife to keep herself safe because he knows that Mm -hmm. uh, things are happening on board the ship. They tried to make her not come aboard the ship and, and, you know, she's there anyway and he wants to protect her. Um, Mm -hmm. And and Zachariah says from the beginning, uh, we're kind of alike here. I'm the only black person and you're the only girl, so we should be friends. What I like about how that story develops is that... It's, it's a kind thing that he says to her, but it's very clear throughout the book that Charlotte has far more privilege than Zachariah um, mm-hmm. and gets far more nice things and preferential treatment. Um, mm-hmm. And that, you know, the jokes directed at her are kind of friendly jibes and the jokes directed at him are, are <laughs> something different. And that is really good i think we you know there are enough stories out there that are like oh i am a white woman and you are a black man so by privilege we're basically the same which you know Mm. (laughs) if anybody is reading the news these days uh, you should know is wildly untrue if anybody's been reading the news since you know i don't know 1715 uh But he's also very protective and he's very attentive and he really does take care of her through the end, even when she's done bad things. And he's always there. I think of all the characters, Zachariah is the one who really understands that she's a child mm-hmm. and really tries to protect her and take care of her. You know, Jaggery sees that she's a child and uses that to manipulate her. Mm-hmm. And Zachariah is kind of just like, she should not be here. And... You know, she shouldn't be experiencing the consequences for just being in the wrong place at the wrong time. And the other just little detail that I like is that at one point she's talking to Zachariah and she he, he says he was born on the east coast of Africa. And she's like, oh, are you a slave? And he's like, no, <laughs> no, I just ran away and started being a sailor. <laughs> like that's, um, And I, I liked that little kind of resistance of a narrative that as a wealthy white girl which probably a lot of I mean at least in my experience a lot of the people reading this book were wealthy white girls mm-hmm. having that little mm, nope not all black people are slaves <laughs> um, mm-hmm. is a good moment to have there and then also that he becomes he he can't have the title of captain but he is functionally captain um Yes. Yeah, is again a, a really deft way of both being aware of the class realities of the 1800s and also aware of the way that people um, find their ways around those rules. Anyway, I like him a lot. I also really like him a lot. And I think I think in talking about how he's the only one who really, well, who treats her like a child in in a protective way, like Jaggery treats her like a child in that he takes advantage of it, but he really understands that she's a child, and so it means that, you know, it means he has a lot more empathy for her and doesn't hold her to account for the things she's done the same way the other people do, and I think that was definitely one of my frustrations as well, was that none of the other sailors were acknowledging that, like, she is a child. Yeah. 
And so I think that was part of it. I think also talking about Zachariah reminds me, so like this obviously got nullified by the end of the book, but my experience of reading the book for a good chunk in the middle was colored by, like I, so one element of the mystery that I did not guess was that Zachariah was still alive. Mm. Um, I did not see that coming at all. So I spent the good like middle third of the book thinking that the book had killed off the only black character Mm -hmm. like first one and I was like I don't like this I don't like that you did this Mm -hmm. so definitely like my opinion of the book was colored by that for like the middle sizable chunk and even though at the end it proved to not be true it definitely like tinged my reading of the book with like being being upset with the book for having done that Hmm. also like from like a standpoint of like don't if you only have one black character don't kill them off um and then also just like he was one of my favorite characters and so I was also just grumpy because I was like he was great why did you kill him I liked him he was good Mm -hmm. but they didn't kill him they did not Mm -hmm. so so I was happy when that was revealed and I think I was mad at the book for making me think that he was dead for so long fair enough (laughs) I get it (laughs) yeah but that was a good twist I will give it credit that that was a good twist that I did not see coming yeah and then he plays an extremely important role in Mm -hmm. yeah in the in the uh, end but yeah I mean as Jaggery finally you know plunges into the sea it did cross my mind of like surely this could have been arranged earlier. Yeah. <laughs> um, but maybe that wouldn't be according to the law of the sea. I don't know. I have to I have to brush up. Yeah, maybe they were too honorable. Maybe they did not. Maybe they're I mean not downfall because they ultimately succeed but several people do die was that they held out too much hope that like if they did things the right way they would come out on top yeah just like Charlotte so that's interesting to think about is they definitely do like they have some kind of still like I don't know if it's like faith in him but they have some essential like I think they do have some sort of an optimism almost towards him because they the sailors neither do not see it coming at all that he could have killed his first mate or whatever that guy was, like, out of a combination of, um, you know, like, rage and wanting to set somebody else up. Like, they were not able to even fathom or think of the idea that he would be capable of stooping that low. Well, see, that one actually I understand. I understand them not figuring that one out uh, mm. because Hollybrass is his only ally on the ship. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I do understand them not immediately jumping to he killed his only ally on the ship and instead thinking Zachariah killed Hollybrass for, you know, a good reason but they can't know that Zachariah is alive. Because mm-hmm. that's really what, what gets said is like, yeah, we only let you get convicted because we protect Zachariah first because he's been part of our crew longer. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I do understand not jumping immediately to, yeah, he killed the only guy who's on his side. And like, yeah. Mm-hmm. 
No, I'm not saying I don't understand it. I think I do understand it, but I'm just saying I think it's it's interesting to think about how they also um I don't think fully grasp the like full extent of his mm-hmm. evil. Mm-hmm. Um which makes me and I I hadn't thought about this before, but this makes me be a little bit maybe a little bit more sympathetic to the the round robin thing is like I think that they I hadn't thought of this in this way before, but they do have more faith in the system than I think I was originally thinking that they do. Like they have faith in a different system than um, mm-hmm. than Charlotte does, but I think they do ultimately have faith in the system and in like the rules of the sea being carried out, and and they don't quite grasp just how low he will stoop. Mm-hmm. So maybe maybe I'm being slightly convinced that this book is better written than I thought it was. I'm sure if you just spend some more time with it, um, I'll be able to convince you into Stockholm Syndrome. But okay. I do think also that like this is the kind of book, like I think you have a different relationship to children's books as an adult if you mm-hmm. read them when you were a child and if you did not. Yes. Like, I think it's a similar thing to what we experienced when we read Anne of Green Gables, is that you just, you approach it differently when you're reading it with the background of having loved it when you were a lot younger. I feel like you're not being totally fair to my reading of Anne of Green Gables because I did <laughs> enjoy it. <laughs> mm. I think I'm maybe more thinking of Caddy's reading of Anne of Green Gables than yours. To be fair, I mean, no, because you 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 were not you you were not uh, you were not as hard on Anne of Green Gables as I'm being on this book. Yeah, yeah. Now I've I've been hard on books before, and I'm I'm happy to accept that and embrace that, mm-hmm. uh, and I'm happy to to dish it out, and I'm also you know I can take it. Uh, mm-hmm. But bottom line is, I am going to read this book to my daughter, and I'm very excited to. <laughs> um, maybe not yet. I don't know. Probably not yet. Mm-hmm. It's probably still a little scary for a seven-year-old. It, there is. There's fully murder that happens. There's, in this yeah, book. there's fully murder that happens. Oh, oh! I remembered a thing that I thought of that I hadn't thought of before. But one thing to keep in mind is that these are old-fashioned guns, and Jaggery has more of them. Mm-hmm. And Jaggery would have had probably, like, officers training at some point, so it's probably also a better shot. Like, the sailors wouldn't really have um, occasion to have shot guns much. Mm-hmm. So if you're thinking about nine men armed, but then if one man has nine guns and is a better shot, there's more of a risk there. So that's something I have to think about, too, because if you have to reload after every shot, changes yes. things. Anyway, thank you for obliging me and reading this book that I've been hounding you to read for two years. Uh, How have you been hounding me to read it for two years? Internally. You bring it up occasionally. Internally, I have been hounding you. I feel like you bring up ship books more often than you bring up this book specifically. Like, every once in a while, you're like, I just want to read a ship book. I do. I still want to read shit books, and that's still going to be a feature of our of our planning meetings. I mean, I am open to shit books. I'm yeah. not against. I just don't have any to recommend. Left Handed Fate was good. Remember, it was. I really enjoyed Left Handed Fate. Jackie Faber books are good, but like, there's definitely a little bit more of the problematic fave to them. Mm. Um, and also some that's surprisingly non problematic. Like anyway. 
Mm-hmm. Re- listeners, let us know what your favorite shit books are, and maybe we'll do a whole month of shit books, and then I will be delighted. I really mm-hmm. like The Open Sea. Yeah. Is is March any kind of, like, special month? If it's not, we should do shit books in March for your birthday. <laughs> I like that idea. I don't remember if March is a special month, except that it's my birthday month. Thanks for listening to Yeah. If you want to leave feedback, suggest a book for us to read, or just say hi, send us an email at theyapodcast at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at yapodcast and individually at thebalesosaurus and at tefferbear. If you like the show and want to help us make it even better, consider supporting us on Patreon. You can get all kinds of great perks, including early access to bonus content, shoutouts, guest appearances, and more. We actually just sent out a little uh, care packages to our patrons recently. Head to patreon.com slash yapodcast to donate. Shout out to our patrons Catherine Reshi, Erica Stitchberry, Kat McGuire, Chantal Thomas, Lizzie Tenhove, Matt Dever, Megan Jane, and Emily Patton. We have merch. Hit the merch link in the description of this episode to get some from the fine folks over at Public. You can also support us for free by leaving a rating and review on Stitcher or Apple Podcasts, subscribing on Spotify, and by sharing this episode with a friend. Maybe a friend who loves the open sea or mystery books or Providence, Rhode Island. Special thanks to Great Bear for letting us use their song Jenny's Groove as our theme music. You can find their music for sale at greatbearmusic.bandcamp.com. This episode was produced by Tever Ajemi, and that's me, and edited by Tom Zalatnai as part of the Upford Network. You can find out about all the great shows on our network at upfordnetwork.com. Check it out. We've added some new stuff. We're are adding it soon. Keep an eye out. Bye-bye. Bye. Dungeons, Dragons, Canada, the Multiverse Theory, Corgis, Queer Representation, Reconciliation, Angels, Demons, Squirrels, Moose, Moose and Squirrels, Sorcerers, Dinosaurs, Forests, Giants, Rogues, Warlocks, Plains, Sewers, Lavender, Natural Toonie, a Canadian Dungeons and Dragons podcast, right here on the Upford Network. If you're someone who interacts with kids, you're probably familiar with moments of being asked questions you're just not equipped to answer. Whether it's the old favorite, where do babies come from, or the nuances of discrimination, Rad Child Podcast has your back. Each episode, your host, Seth Day, leads a discussion about topics like race, disability, loss, gender, sexuality, and so much more. Our goal is to give grown-ups the tools to talk to kids about almost anything. So come give a listen. Rad Child Podcast, helping to raise a generation of open, compassionate, rad kids. Available on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, and just about anywhere else.